Dallas, how are you? Hey, some of y'all are awake. I love it. For those who maybe not in on the front end, John introduced me. My name is Nick, and I get the privilege of being with y'all this morning, and I'm excited to be here. I live currently in Nashville, right outside Nashville in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Try saying Murfreesboro three times fast. It'll get you. Um, But I have been married for almost 16 years. My wife is a prayer warrior. She has to be to be married to this because this could be a lot sometimes, everybody. I have three beautiful babies. They're not babies anymore, but for me, they will always be babies. I have a 13-year-old daughter who is beautiful and smart, and I believe she's 13 going on 40. Sometimes she might even be more mature than I am, and she's never going to date. She has a man in her life. His name is Daddy. That's all she needs. I have a son, I have two sons. My oldest son, his name is Jackson. He is 11 years old. He's awkward, but I love him anyways, y'all. I don't get him, but I'm trying to. And then we have our seven-year-old Nash, who the best way to describe Nash is Nash is a third child. I don't know if y'all have the third child. What I mean by that, sometimes we forget to feed him. You know, he's the third kid. He's going to be okay. He's a survivor, and he thinks that he is 11 or 13, and so he truly is wide open. And the older I get, the more I have recognized that really the chief calling on my life is to be a child of the king, a husband to my wife, and a dad to my three kids. And everything else comes after that. And I was excited about driving. I love driving up to, thank you, you can clap for that, I'll receive it. I was driving up here to Knoxville, and I love to drive because you're in the mountains, and I think it's beautiful, but sometimes I get distracted by the mountains. I'm like, Nick, focus on the road, focus on the road. And so what's interesting is I have this little SUV. It's a turbo four-cylinders. Turbo, though, y'all. It's turbo. I don't know what the turbo is because whenever I press the gas pedal, the turbo just goes away. And as I was navigating the mountains and the roads and going up hills and all the things, my poor little four-cylinder turbo was struggling a little bit. I'd be like, come on now, come on, you got it. And if you've ever been in a situation like that, I find myself in the car going like this, like like that's going to do anything. And so it really is not, does not have a lot of power. But what's interesting is I have a lot of friends that have cars that are full of power. I have a buddy who just bought a Tesla, and that's really cool to me. I feel like I'm in the future already. He plugs it up, and then he takes it off. Now, here's the thing I did not understand about the Tesla, which I will explain to you here shortly. He invited me after he got the Tesla. He's like, Nick, let me take you for a ride. And I was like, what a good friend. Yes, I will come, I will meet you, and we will ride in your Tesla. So I get in the Tesla, and he's like, man, this is pretty cool. I was like, it is cool. It's like being in a spaceship, but we're not. This is great. And so we get in the Tesla, and he said, so you've never ridden in a Tesla before? And I said, no, I haven't had the privilege, and I'm excited that you would share such an experience with me. And he says, oh, and then he presses the gas pedal as fast as he could. Now, here's the thing you need to understand about a Tesla maybe you didn't know. It doesn't have an engine. It's electric, so it's instant. Like, it doesn't have to build up. It doesn't have to tell the horses, hey, horses, we're about to move. It is zero to 60 in negative one seconds. And honestly, when he pushed the gas, my face was like this. And he's like, are you okay? And I was like, I don't know what to do with my hands right now. And I may have messed myself just because it was that strong. 
And it was amazing the power that that car had. I was not used to that power, and it caught me off guard. And I tell you this story because as we think about the Holy Spirit, and I think about myself, in my life, I am more prone to living a turbo four-cylinder life. But the Lord has put his very spirit in me. He has given me Holy Spirit power. He has given me a power to do even greater things than this. He has put Tesla power in me, but yet I find myself living a four-cylinder turbo life. See, I find myself that I live this powerless life when the Lord has put a powerful force within me. And I have this question that we're going to wrestle with a little bit this morning, is what would it look like if the people of God lived powerful lives because of the spirit that is within? What would it look like if we didn't just go along with the flow and we didn't just, how are you doing today? Well, I'm fine. My bunion's aching again. But what if we as a people of God recognize that the very spirit of God, the same spirit that raised the king from the grave, the same spirit that split a ocean in two or a sea in two, is the same power that lives within us today. What would it look like if we actually lived by the power of the spirit? If we navigated this life in a different way, what would that look like? Because here is the invitation. It's to walk in step with the Spirit and live powered by the Spirit because God did not put his Spirit within you to live a powerless life. Dr. Martin Luther King, as he was sitting in a jail in Birmingham, wrote this letter about the church. And he wrote it and he said this, there was a time when the church was very powerful. In the time when the early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and the principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. If we truly lived power-filled lives, if we truly kept in spirit with the Holy Spirit, I believe that we would no longer be thermometers. We would not just measure what's going on in the world. We would not just make comments about what's going on in the world. But I believe that I would be a thermostat setting the tone, setting the temperature, setting what society looks like because I know the power that dwells within me. And I know the king who goes before me. And so I would be someone who would live a spirit-filled life. And I love that he ch says, change the mores of society. That means you change the inner workings of a system and a society that have been established. That means for us as a people of God who have been filled with the spirit of God, society around us changes because of whose spirit is within us. I believe we would be thermostats and not thermometers. And what does that look like? Well, Paul's going to encourage us in the book of Galatians, and then we're going to see it walked out by the one who lived by the Spirit the best, Jesus himself. And so over the next few moments, here's my prayer for us. 
My prayer for us is to ask ourselves this question. What would my life look like right here and right now? If I lived in such a way that the Spirit is calling me to live, what would that look like? What does it look like to live a power-filled spirit life as opposed to a powerless life? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for who you are and what you're up to. Lord, my prayer is that we will be thermostats and not thermometers. That we will not just be a people that record what's going on in society, but may we be a people that are changing the mores of society. That are changing the inner workings because we know who goes before us and we know who is within us and we know who has our back. And so, Father, may we be a people that live powerful, spirit-filled lives. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we know that you are able to do even more than has been done. So, Father, may we join you on this journey. May we trust you with our lives. And, Lord, move in us. Move through us. And let us be a conduit of the kingdom of God. So, Jesus, we love you. We thank you. And we pray all these things in your awesome and amazing name. Amen. So over the course of this weekend with the students, we have been talking about what it looks like to live an undivided life, a life fully devoted to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, no matter where we are, no matter what we are doing, to live this life that really God has invited us to live. And so today, at the final session with the students, and really kind of what we get to talk about today is the power that spurs this life on. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bibles or your phones or whatever it is you read God's word with, we're going to go to Galatians chapter 5. And we're going to begin in verse number 16 on this journey. And then we're going to jump to John for a little bit and then come back. So Galatians chapter 5, a little background on this book if you're not familiar. This is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. They are having issue listening to the right voices. They are listening to the voices of the crowd instead of listening to the voice of the king. In essence, you could say that they have become more like thermometers as opposed to thermostats. And so what Paul is going to do is to remind them about the spirit within them and what that looks like and what kind of power they have within themselves through what Jesus Christ has done. And so I think this reminder to the church in Galatia is very much pointed and very much applicable to where we are today in 2021. And so here we go. Let's dive in. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 says this. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Why? It is impossible to walk by the spirit and to walk by the flesh at the same time. You have to make a choice. You have to either choose, I'm going to walk and be obedient to the Holy Spirit's prompting and leading, or I'm going to do what I want to do. It's impossible to walk in two different directions at the same time. And so Paul is reminding them, so I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. Amen? My flesh often is contrary to what the spirit wants. And the spirit, what is contrary to the flesh? 
they are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Paul is saying, listen, if you are going to walk in this powerful life, if you are going to walk by the Spirit, if you are going to be a thermostat, you are going to walk in opposition to what your flesh says, which also means that you're going to walk in the opposite direction than the world is telling you to go. Why? Because you are following the king. You are not following the people of a little K kingdom. No, you're following the king. And sometimes, let me tell you this, when you choose to walk by the Spirit and to fix your eyes on the King, it will take you through many obstacles. You will go through many valleys. Why? Because that's where you are being built, that's where you are being refined, and also as you walk opposite of everybody else, there is going to be some friction. It is not always going to be easy. And there are times where we're like, God, do you see what's going on? He goes, yeah. And we go, well, what are you going to do about it? And he goes, why do you think I left you there? Why do you think I have my people there to be a conduit of my kingdom and to represent me? You're my ambassador. That's what I'm doing. I'm going to change the world through my people. I'm working and I'm moving, but I'm using my people to do so. And the most prime example of someone who walked by the Spirit and fixed his eyes on the Father is Jesus. And so I'm going to take us to a story, one of my favorite stories in Scripture. It's found in John chapter 4. You can go ahead and turn there. In John chapter 4, Jesus is doing what Jesus has already always does. He's just had a conversation with Nicodemus a little bit ago, and that's where he gave John 3.16, and he tells God's ultimate plan and tells of God's gospel. And so in John chapter 4, he is going on a journey, and he is going to go through the city of Samaria. Which is a big deal because most Jewish people at this time would not have been caught dead in Samaria. They were at war and at battle with the Samaritans. They did not interact with them. But here is Jesus and he is not only going to go through it, but he's going to stop and rest and have a conversation with somebody. Why? Because he was walking in step with the Spirit. And we are going to see how God uses this to not only change this woman's life, but it changes her whole community. John chapter 4, verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. I want y'all to underline that. He had to go through Samaria. Why? Because God had some work to do in Samaria. He had to go. He had to do it. He had to go through the place that no one else wanted to go through. Why? Because that is where the Spirit was leading him to go. And so he went willingly. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sakar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Verse number 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. She is giving him the facts. 
She said, I don't know if you know this or not, but you're a Jewish man and I'm a Samaritan woman. What is she saying? Is we don't talk to each other. We don't interact with each other. That is the rules of the land. We don't, we don't do this. So I don't know where you are from, but let me just remind you who you are and who I am. You are a Jewish man and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Here's what I'm learning. That when you walk by the Spirit, you recognize that obstacles are opportunities to glorify the King. Let me say that again. When you walk by the Spirit, you recognize that obstacles are opportunities to glorify the King. For us, as we walk, as we come to obstacles, as we come to places in our life where it's an obstacle and we go, hey, I don't know what to do, we have to recognize that that in the hands of God is an opportunity to, for him to get the glory. I think about 2020, y'all, it was a hot mess. It was. And 2021, it still has its share of issues. And as someone who follows the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and has his very spirit within him, when I look at 2020 and I look at 2021, do I just see the mess or do I see an opportunity for the king to make a masterpiece of the mess? You might go, Nick, why would you think it could be a masterpiece? Because if he can take someone who was dead and make them alive, the king is into making masterpieces out of messes, everybody. When you think about your life, when you think about who you used to be before you met the king, before you surrendered your life, before you allowed him to sit on the throne of your life. Let us not forget where we used to be. Now, you are not where you need to be, but you're no longer where you used to be, and so you are still in process. The Lord is into making masterpieces out of messes. Just go look in the mirror and remind yourself of what is true. And so here is Jesus because there is a lot at stake here. There are people that are going to be talking. There are people that are going to go, did you hear about Jesus? He was talking to a Samaritan. But yet Jesus, being led by the Spirit, engaged this woman because there was more at stake. See, we see that Jesus is changing the interworkings of society by being obedient to what the Spirit is doing. Let's jump back to Galatians to see some evidence and some some, really some steps that it looks like when we choose to walk not by the flesh, but the spirit. And so when we walked in our flesh, when we walked in this four-cylinder turbo power, here's what it looks like. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Here's what Paul is saying. That is who you used to be before the spirit of God was within you. But we no longer live as dead people, but by people who are alive in the spirit. Everybody, when you are alive, guess what? You don't need grave clothes. 
When you have been made alive in Christ, you no longer walk around in grave clothes. Why? Because you're not dead. You are alive. You have been made alive by the Spirit of God and what he has done on the cross, and so you are alive. And I wonder how many of us are still walking around in our grave clothes. Well, this is who I am. This is who I've always been. You know, because of how I was raised or where I come from, this is what we do. Can I just tell you that your past no longer has a hold on you when you've been set free by the king? That is not who you are anymore. So we don't need to walk around and make excuses as to why we are still wearing grave clothes. If you are alive, take the grave clothes off and put on your kingdom robe and live as you are alive, powered by the Spirit. Because that is the invitation. Because a lot of people do not need grave clothes. Then Galatians goes on to say, this is what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. Verse 22, Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit, come on, y'all been remembering this since you were a young person. You probably got a song. I'm not going to sing it this morning just to bless you. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness. Can we just underline that? Kindness. And the reason we need to underline that, especially as the people of God, because sometimes the people of God is known as the grumpy people of God. Some of us need to fix our face and tell our face that we are full of the Spirit and that we get to be kind because our Savior was kind to us. And let me give you just, let me give you something simple. When you go to a restaurant after we leave this place, we're about to get real up in here. When you go to a restaurant when you leave this place and they give you sweet tea instead of unsweet tea, they give you a lime instead of a lemon. They didn't bring you your extra honey mustard for all the tenders you were eating. That does not give you permission to tear them down and to tell them how it is. Why? You represent the king and you're full of the Holy Spirit. You are kind because your king was kind to you. And at the end of the day, y'all, the Lord is using us. He is using us to reveal himself. If you are full of the Spirit, this is who you are. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We could preach a whole nother sermon on gentleness and self-control. We're not going to go there this morning. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit see this fruit of the spirit is a buffet you get it all you don't just get one or the other you get it all if you have said yes to Jesus this is who you are it's kind of like Thanksgiving coming up this week y'all when I go to Thanksgiving dinner I'm not oh a little bit of this a little bit of that no I'm like this yes Jesus wake me up in an hour we're gonna do it again you get it all. And with the fruit of the Spirit, you get it all. 
let's see how Jesus walked this out in this interaction. So he's talking to this Samaritan woman. And what I love about Jesus is he lays it bare, y'all. He keeps it real. He is loving and honest. And she goes back to her town and she tells everybody about the encounter that, hey, she met somebody that was not like anybody that she has ever met. And then his disciples come back. Oh, bless their hearts. Verse 27. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Can we pause right here for a second? Like, have you ever stepped into an awkward situation and you don't know what to say and you're wondering if somebody's going to say something? That is where these disciples are. They're like, why Jesus talking to a Samaritan? I don't know. You go ask him. No, you ask him. Maybe we should notice. That's what's going on. They're like, um, Jesus, we don't really do that. Verse 28. But Jesus wasn't about pleasing man. He was about pleasing his father. Verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Can we pause just real quick? The disciples are an awkward bunch, amen? And a lot of times what I want to do is be like, oh, bless, bless their heart, Peter. Come on, Peter. But y'all, the more I look at the disciples, the more I see myself. The more I fail to see what is really going on and what Jesus is up to, I just miss it. And a lot of times it's because I'm looking through the wrong lens. I'm looking through Nick's eyes instead of looking through the king's eyes and seeing what he is up to and what he's doing. And so these disciples are like, did someone bring him a takeout meal? Like, did he door dash this? Verse 34. My food said Jesus is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and the harvest a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus, the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Jesus is saying, hey, I've gone before y'all. I've done the hard work. You just get to reap. Verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Look at this. Jesus impacted one lady and changed the whole community. As I look at this, I go, okay. The same power that dwells in him, it was the same power that dwells in me. If I'm willing to walk in this Holy Spirit power, what can God do through me? Maybe a conversation at a restaurant turns into a whole family coming to the awareness that there's a king that loves them. Maybe engaging with my neighbor instead of closing my garage door before I get out of my car. Maybe just maybe God can use that 
moment to change someone's heart. Maybe he could use that moment to change someone's household. Maybe if I continue to walk in obedience and recognize the power within me, maybe I can be a part of being a thermostat changing the mores of society. Verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days, and because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that the man really is the Savior of the world. When we live by the Spirit, our life has kingdom impact. You get to be a part of building a kingdom that will last forever. When I recognize the power that is within me, and I allow my feet to walk in that power and allow my eyes to stay fixed on my king, I can't help but change the world around me. The Lord did not put his spirit within you just to keep it to yourself. The Lord knows your story and he wants to leverage that for his kingdom. He is working and he is willing. Here's the question. Are you willing to join him in the work that he is doing? We'll close with this last verse. 1 John 4.4 4 says this. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. You have been called and invited to be a thermostat. You have not been called to be a thermometer recording what is around you, but you have been called to change the temperature in the room. Are you willing? If you would bow your heads for me. Jesus, maybe in the last few moments as we have talked about what it looks like to live these powerful spirit-led lives. Maybe for some of us in this place as we were reading through Galatians and we saw how we used to live, we would say, you know what? How we used to live before the spirit came is really what it looks like for my life right now. Maybe you find yourself in this place where you have heard about Jesus and you've been around church and you've been around Christians, but you have never surrendered your life to Jesus. The first step in receiving the power of the Holy Spirit is to say yes to the King. Because once we surrender, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. And so maybe today is the day for the first time you surrender your life to Jesus. You allow Jesus to sit on the throne of your life. And in this moment, right where you are seated, I'm going to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. If you can say something like this right here and right now, right at your seat with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If you could say something like this, dear Jesus, I do not understand it all. But the best way I know how, I say yes to the perfect life you lived. For 33 years, you lived perfectly and you did everything that God your Father sent you to do. 
I say yes to the fact that you surrender your life on a cross, paying a debt I was unable to pay. Because I have made mistakes, I was not able to pay a debt because I was not perfect. But Jesus, you had sufficient funds. And you paid my debt in full, so I say yes. I say yes to the fact that three days later you gave back a borrowed tomb, overcoming sin and the grave. And through you and you alone am I able to overcome sin and the grave. I say yes. I say yes to my seat at your table. I say yes to the robe of righteousness that you put around me. And I say yes to the signet ring of the family, saying that I belong to the family of God forever and ever. I say yes. If in that quiet of this moment, if you had a conversation similar to that with Jesus, on the authority of God's word, not Nick's opinion, not John's opinion, but on the authority of God's word, it says you will be saved. That you have taken your seat at the table and you have become as a son or daughter of the king. Here in just a moment, as we began to sing and respond to the goodness of our king, I would love it if you took another bold step and came and told somebody about what Jesus is doing and what he has done. Maybe you're in this room right now and you've said yes to Jesus, but you have recognized that your life does not reflect the kingdom and the power you're walking in is not kingdom power and power of the Holy Spirit. And maybe, just maybe here in this moment, you need to go, hey, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've become more of a thermometer than a thermostat, but I want to turn and embrace being a thermostat because that is who you have called me to be. Jesus, thank you. Jesus, thank you. Jesus, thank you. Jesus, thank you for what you're doing and what you have done. Jesus, thank you that you have put your very spirit within us, the same spirit that called you from death to life, the same spirit that split a sea in two, the same spirit that allowed walls to fall. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that that is who we are. And may we walk in step with the king, fixing our eyes on the king and remembering that the king has our back. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we thank you. And Jesus, we pray all these things in your awesome and amazing name. Amen.